Hi, I'm Pastor Dallas Billington, Senior Pastor here at City Church, and we want to welcome you today to our services. We hope that no matter what you're facing in life, that through the message today, through God's Word, He will truly encourage your heart. Today we're going to look at a story of encouragement and an example of what it really means to hope. Lord, as we open your Word today, God, may it come alive to us, Lord. May a story from literally thousands of years ago, Lord, may it pierce our heart, God, and teach us the lessons that you have for us. I'll give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen. You know, when we think of a man named Nehemiah, one of the first things that come to mind is the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. But what got us to that point? What got us to the point of where the walls needed rebuilt? And that's what we'll look at today. Our story begins, if we were to get in a time capsule from the time of Nehemiah and go back 150 years and get an overview of what's been going on and, and what happened and why the walls were in the condition and the city was in the condition that it was. So going back from the time of Nehemiah, about 150 years, we, f we arrive at a time where the Babylonians have invaded the southern kingdom of Judah. And have destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. They destroyed the walls. They destroyed everything in the city. And they took the Jewish people captive. Now this captive was to be 70 years. And it was a prophetic event that happened. The Jews had sinned against God. And God said, you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. But after that time, you'll be able to return. So Babylon takes the Jews into captivity. Now, you remember in elementary school, there was always that one kid, and he was taller and bigger than everybody, right? But then as the years went on, what happened? He didn't grow, and everybody else did. And before long, he was no longer the biggest kid on the block. There was a new kid that was taller and tougher and stronger, and that's what happened to Babylon. As, as we go through this time of history, the empire of Persia arrives on the scene, and they're tougher and bigger and badder than Babylon. And they take and they, they overcome and they conquer Babylon. So the Jewish people are now under the control of the Persians. But this was really a good thing because, see, Persia was a little bit different than most of these empires. They would allow people to continue to rule themselves. They would allow people to continue to practice their religion, the people that they conquered. And so Persia was a bit different. And King Cyrus, he allows the Jewish people to go back to Jerusalem. And they begin to rebuild the temple. And under Cyrus and along the line under Darius, they begin to rebuild the temple at Jerusalem. They rebuild the altar. But the city's still in ruins. The city is still a mess. There's no walls to protect it. People there are living in really difficult conditions. And as we move through history and we near the time of Nehemiah, we see another great king of Persia come along by the name of Xerxes I. Now, you may remember Xerxes from history. He's a very famous king. In fact, if you've ever seen the movie The 300, which is a great movie that talked about the 300 Spartans, a great movie of King Leonidas where he led the 300 Spartans against this mighty army of Persia in the very narrow straits of Thermopylae. And the Persians had 100,000, 150,000 men. And here Leonidas and his 300 stood and held them off for literally a week. Well, the king that led that mighty Persian army was Xerxes. 
And Xerxes was also famous for something else. He was the husband of Queen Esther. So if you read the book of Esther, you see a lot of the history that coincides with Persian history and the invasions of the Greeks. So as we move through history, we find one more king that was to come along. His name was Artaxerxes, the son of Xerxes. And this arrives us now at the time of Nehemiah. Artaxerxes is the king of Persia, and Nehemiah is his cupbearer. Now, cupbearer is an important job. I don't know that I would want to have it, but it was an important job. It paid well. You know, you got to drink everything the king got to drink. The problem was if somebody didn't like the king and they put something in there that wasn't going to agree with them, then you would be the one to receive it first. But this gave Nehemiah a very important position. He was very well thought of in the Persian Empire. Now, as we look at that history and we arrive in Nehemiah, I, I, just a side note, history is so important. You know, there are so many secular historians, and now even pastors we're seeing, even denominations that want to say the Old Testament is just a bunch of fairy tales. It's not really true. It's just a lot of good stories. But we know that that is not the truth. The Bible is many things. The Bible is a book of theology. The Bible is a prophetic book. But the Bible, more than anything else, is a historic book. And it accounts the history. What a great history of Persia is found throughout the Old Testament and in the book of Esther. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is a history book. Let's never forget that. The stories that we see all the way from the time of Adam throughout the time of Christ are real. They happened. They're not fairy tales. We even see secular historians that, that do back this up and real, uh, will come to the realization that Nehemiah was a real person. Oh, the Bible gives us a great history and we should never discount that history. You know, I often say the Bible is like a 5,000 5, piece puzzle. If you ever had one of those giant puzzles and you dump it out on a table and if you don't have the time or the patience, you look at it and you go, none of this fits together. I'm not doing, I, I don't know what, the, 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 it's not going to be that picture on the box, that's for sure. But the truth of the matter is, is when you take the time to piece every piece together, you'll find that they all fit. And when you see it, you'll see a beautiful history of the world throughout the Bible. In Nehemiah chapter 1, we see the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. It came to pass in the month of Chislu in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of the brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked him concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah gets word back from Jerusalem that the city is still in ruins, that the city is still a mess, that people are living in terrible conditions, and it hurts him so bad. He hears about the walls of the city. Now, in ancient times, if you didn't have walls around the city, you weren't going to have a city for long because they protected the city. They protected it from invading armies. They protected it from people coming in to destroy and loot or wild animals. You, you had to have walls to protect the city. The walls were a mess. The city was a mess. Think of that place where you once grew up 
the house you grew up in or maybe it was a, a particular school or a church or somewhere that now today you drive by and you say, boy, sure didn't look like that when we lived there. Boy, the, the yard really needs mowed and the landscaping's overgrown. And boy, the shutters need painted. The roof needs repaired. Boy, it just doesn't look the same, does it? And what happens? You, you go home and you just have that feeling in your heart. You're just, you're saddened by it. And Nehemiah was so saddened because Jerusalem, this great city, the city of his ancestors is now still a mess after all these years. And the people there are living with a lack of hope. Nehemiah at this time, he had a total lack of hope. In fact, we see that his, his mourning turns literally into depression. He has a lack of hope because he thinks, how in the world can anyone ever rebuild this great city? Nehemiah, it says, did three things. The first thing he did was he cried. That crying lets, lets out pain. It, it, instead of holding it inside, we can get it out of us. It's so important sometimes when we are in such a state of depression and mourning that we let it out. Jesus tells us this in John eleven thirty five. 35. He says, Jesus wept when his friend Lazarus died. He showed us it's okay to cry. It's okay to mourn. And so Nehemiah mourns in Psalms chapter 34 and verse 17. It says, the righteous cry out. And the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Nehemiah was crying out to God. He didn't know what else to do. The second thing there it says, he, he fasted. Nehemiah wanted to show God he was serious, that he meant business. And he probably wasn't in such mourning that he didn't even want to eat. It says that he fasted, just as Jesus fasted when he was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. Fasting is a thing that shows our seriousness to God. In Joel 2, verse 12, it says, Now therefore saith the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Nehemiah not only cried out to God, he not only fasted, but it said he prayed. And it said he prayed for days and days. You know, prayer is a, a powerful thing. Prayer lets us release our responsibility that we have to figure out what to do because we don't know what to do in a time like that. When we're in so much distress, we don't know what to do. And it allows us to release that responsibility to God and say, I don't know what I'm going to do here, God, but I'm releasing it to you. Oftentimes our minds are bombarded with what ifs when we go through a time like Nehemiah when there's no hope. We think of all the what ifs, all the bad things that can happen. Well, what if this happens and what if that happens? You know, one of the things I always like to do in a time like that, I like to turn those what ifs around. When I'm going through a time where it doesn't seem like there's any hope for a situation, I always like to say, well, what if God makes a way? What if God creates something, a miracle in this situation, in this person's life? What if God turns all this around for his glory? We need to understand the importance of prayer. As Jesus prayed throughout his ministry, prayer is a, a lifeline. Imagine a person being thrown off of a boat, and here they are, and the waves are crashing around them, and you throw them a lifeline, and they say, no, I got too many other things to worry about than holding on to this lifeline. I got waves crashing. I got sharks. I have to worry about that. I can't worry about holding on to a lifeline. 
Let me tell you something. Of course you can worry about holding on to a lifeline. Prayer is our lifeline to God. You're going to hold on to that as tight as you can to know that I have a connection with the God of the universe. In verse 5, Nehemiah continues to talk. He says, and I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those you love, you love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Nehemiah says, God, I confess my sins. I confess the sins of my family. I confess the sins of my nation. This is a man who is totally surrendering to God. He's totally saying, God, I don't, I'm not worthy of you. All the sins in my life, all the sins that have happened, all the sins that got us into this mess in the first place, God, we surrender before you now. He takes responsibility. Takes responsibility for his sins. You know, in our world today, I don't know if you've noticed this, but people really don't take responsibility anymore, do they? <laughs> it's always somebody else's fault, right? Always somebody else's fault. You know, I, uh, when I'm out driving and I make a mistake and I cut somebody off or something, I always try to wave and say sorry to them before they get too mad. Yeah? Now, if they make a mistake, I'll let them know too, but... I remember a couple years ago, probably, we have a four-way stop by our house, and, uh, and, the, and it's, a, it's a road where the speed limit's about 45, so, you know, people drive pretty fast on this road. So I'm always careful when I come up to this four-way stop, because I want to make sure everybody's stopping. So I get there, and I'm the only person there, and I stop, I look, there's nobody else around, but there's a car coming. And so I start to slowly pull out in the intersection, and I'm watching this car, and I realize they're not going to stop. There's a stop sign there, but they might take that as a suggestion. They're just going to continue right on through. And so I'm halfway through this intersection, and I stop. And they come barreling through at 45, 50 miles an hour right through that stop sign, and they look at me, and they just read me the riot act. How dare I pull out in the middle of that intersection? And I was in such shock that I'm getting read the riot act here after they blow a stop sign at 50. And I'm watching them go by and I'm looking at the stop sign. And I literally, no one was hurt. I literally had to start laughing. And I'm thinking, isn't that a perfect example of the world we live in? It's not my fault. It's your fault. It's everybody else's fault. Nobody takes responsibility. Nehemiah was taking responsibility for his sins. You know, true repentance means taking responsibility. It means there are no excuses. It means saying, I was wrong, period. This is what needs to happen in many marriages when people are blaming and having issues. They need to say, it's my fault, period. I'm not going to blame anybody else. I'm sorry for what I did. There's no excuse. But we don't live in that society. It's like the kid who threw the baseball through the window and he says, it's not my fault that the window broke. It's the fault of the person who made the window. They should have made it stronger. 
But of course, we know that Nehemiah is humbling himself before God in the state that he's in. In verse 8, we see this continue. It says, remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, through some, though some of you were cast out to the farthest parts of heaven, yet I will gather them from there. I will bring them to the place which I have chosen as my dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom he, you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name, who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. He reminds God of the promise he made to Moses. He said, God, you remember the promise you made that if we weren't acting right, that you were going to take care of us. But when we come back to you and we truly repent, that Lord, you'll bring us back into our land, that you'll protect us. That's a promise that you made. And in verse 11 there, it says a, a desire to fear thy name. You could say a desire to delight in honoring you. Proverbs 9, 10 says, the fear of the Lord, that to, to fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So now we see the story of Nehemiah and it continues as some time goes by and now it's the springtime. And you know what? Nehemiah is still depressed about all of this. He still has a total lack of hope. He doesn't see how there's any hope of Jerusalem coming back. And he tells us in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 6. He said, therefore the king, remember King Artaxerxes, the, the king said to me, why is your face sad? Since you are not sick, there is nothing but sorrow in your heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad? When the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Nehemiah had to be careful because if the king got upset, it, uh, many kings, when you entered their presence and you weren't in the best of moods or you might say something wrong, you could literally be executed. So as he come before this great king, this, this ruler of the whole region, he is in fear that he might say something wrong. So Nehemiah prays to God to give him the right answer. You know, when we're in a situation in our lives when things can go bad fast, when what we say could change a relationship, we need to take time to ask God, what should I say here? And sometimes that means taking a time out and backing away from the situation. Sometimes that means waiting a while before you respond and asking God for wisdom. What should I say in this situation? And Nehemiah was given the words. He was given the words of what he should say. And in Verse 7, it says, 
Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of God upon me. So Nehemiah says, well, king, if you ask what I need, I'm going to tell you. I need to be able to travel there safely. I need some building supplies. I need all of these things. And the king says, you know what? I agree with everything that you say. In fact, I'm going to give you letters, and I'm going to stamp them with my, my particular seal, and you can take them everywhere you go throughout my kingdom. And they'll give you safe passage. And in fact, they probably escorted him. They said, oh, this man is coming in by decree of the king. And he was escorted into Judah, into Jerusalem. And he was given the building supplies that he would need. And in Nehemiah 2.18, now we see that the situation is starting to turn. He's there and there's workers ready, there's supplies ready. And he says, and I told them of the hand of God which had been good unto me. And also of the king's words that had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to do this good work. Nehemiah came from a place where he had no hope. To now he had a little bit of a glimmer of hope. He looks around, he says, you know, this might actually work. Boy, I got everything I need. God, God gave me everything I need. And here we are, we're standing in this holy city of Jerusalem. And we have the supplies, we have the workers this might actually work. Nehemiah had a glimmer of hope. You know, hope begins when you're in your darkest hour. Hope begins with a very small glimmer. I remember years ago, going back to the time when I was a kid and in high school, that many of you remember the old uh, church camp, OBA, Ohio Baptist Acres. And I remember going out there when, we'd go out there a lot of times when there was no camps going on and, and a bunch of us, we'd just spend the night and we'd just play games and do everything. We'd be outside the whole night just running around. And, and if you were out there at night, it was pretty dark. And I always remember that it would get so dark and the dead of night when it was just completely dark. And then all of a sudden, you'd look in the horizon and you'd see just a little bit of light and you knew that the sun's coming. But the only way you knew it was you seen that little bit of glimmer of light. And that, that glimmer is, is the minutes pass, it would get greater and greater and greater. And then all of a sudden you would stand there and you'd just be washed in the light of the sun. That glimmer of hope. That glimmer of hope is critical. That glimmer of hope in the darkness is so, is so critical because it means that the light is coming. You don't know how it's coming. You don't know where it's coming. But you see that glimmer in the distance and you know that the light is coming. Whether that's depression you're dealing with. Whether that's financial stress you're dealing with. Whether that's a marital issue. Whatever it is. Look for that glimmer of hope in your life. Never let it go. Grab onto that hope and say, God, I know that you've given me this for a reason. And I know that things are going to work out. They might not work out in the time that, you, that I want them to work out. They might not work out in the way. But I know that you're going to, to bring the light into my life. I know that you're going to change things. And I'm going to take that glimmer. And in the midst of the darkness, I'm going to hold onto that glimmer. Because I know that the light is coming. Truly, Nehemiah held on to that glimmer. And he held on to that glimmer 
And that glimmer became the realization of that hope that he had. He went from that total lack of hope to seeing a little bit of a glimmer to where he stood and realized that his hope and his faith all came to being. In verse 15 of chapter 6, it says, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in, the 52, in 52 days. And it happened when all the enemies heard of it. And all the nations around us saw these things. that They were disheartened in their own eyes. For they perceived that this work was done by our God. Oh, the faith that Nehemiah had, the hope that he had, was realized. In 52 days, they took a pile of lumber. They took stones. They took all of these things and they built the walls of Jerusalem. This was an impossible feat. With what they had, this could not be done. 52 days, it was impossible. They could not do this. And the enemies around them looked at them and they said, there's no way that they could have done this without the help of God. In your life, when you realize that hope, when the sun comes up and you realize that God has delivered you from that situation, people around you will say, boy, God was with them. God was with them. God took care of them. God helped them. And when we realize that hope in our life, people can look to us and they can see the blessing of God. Oh, he moved from that lack of hope to that small glimmer to the realization of the hope that the city would be rebuilt. As we close, I, uh, I thought of a, a story in my life where I went from a time where there was really no hope for something to time when that hope was realized. A number of years back, I was working full-time at a church, and the church had a lot of financial issues, and many of us were laid off, and, uh, and I just didn't really have much hope at that time that I would ever be back in the ministry. I had a couple of opportunities, but nothing really felt right. And God opened a door in the financial industry, which I work full-time today, a job I love. And he opened that. I've been there several years now, and I love what I do, and I know that's where God wants me. But I, I always thought, I thought, you know, I don't ever think that I'll, I'll even be part-time or do anything in the ministry. I just didn't have any hope that that would ever happen. I love the ministry. I love what I did. I love working behind the scenes. I love the kids. I love the media. I loved all the things I did. But I just kind of said, Lord, it's just, this chapter is closed. And two things happened. I got a call from Pastor John Henniger. Now, any of you know John Henniger? He's a dear friend of mine, and I just absolutely love John. He's one of the most terrific people you will ever meet. And he's a pastor. I had a church over in the west side of Barberton, and he called me, and he says, I want you to speak. And I thought, okay, I'll come and speak. And so I came, and I spoke there. Just had a great time. Just such great people there. And at that time, I thought, well, you know, maybe God will still use me in some way in, in, in the ministry. I had a little bit of a glimmer of hope that maybe he's not quite done with me, and I'm willing to do whatever. And then Pastor Dallas calls, and he says, you know, he says, we could use some help. There's a couple areas I know that you have a background in. We could use some help. It says, I want you to come on part-time. And all of a sudden, that glimmer of hope started to change. And I realized, you know what? God's not, not done with me yet. And I really stand here today as the realization of that hope. A long time ago, when City Church was first being formed, 
God put it upon my heart that one day you'll, you'll be serving there. And there's a long story to that. And I never knew how that was possible. But I said, God, whatever you really want. And I never seen a way. But God made a way. And today I stand here as a realization of that hope. And I want to tell you today, I, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know where your lack of hope is. I don't know where that situation is that is just absolutely enveloping, destroying your life, where you don't see any way out of. I don't know what it is, but God does. God knows what that is. And I just want to encourage you today. There's a glimmer out there. There's a little glimmer of hope. There's a little light out there somewhere that God has. I want you to look at that light and I want you to hold on to it. Don't let it go. Because God's going to bring, God's going to bring the hope. God's going to bring the light into your life. And once you get through that, you can look back and you can say to someone else, you can say, boy, I was in that place once in my life. And I want to tell you, God came through. Hold on to the glimmer of hope. Just as Nehemiah held on to that glimmer and was able to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, hang on to that glimmer and know that God's going to make a way that the hope and the light is coming. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we're so thankful today, God, for your hope, for your light. Lord, sometimes in our lives, there is nothing else we can do but pray. There's nothing else we can do but cry out to you. There's nothing else we can do, Lord, but surrender ourselves to you. And Lord, when we come to a time in our lives when we just have to surrender ourselves to you, Lord, we may not realize it, but it's the best place in the world for us to be. Because when we surrender to you, God, we're right in your hand. You're going to take care of us, Lord. You're going to comfort us. You're going to guide us. You're going to direct us in whatever we do. Lord, I pray for anyone here today, anyone watching, Lord, who is struggling in their life, Lord. May they find the hope, the hope that only you can give. And Lord, when we think of hope, Lord, we know the greatest hope in this world. A hope that we haven't realized yet, but Lord, we've seen a glimmer. And Lord, that's a hope in your son, Jesus Christ. Coming to this world, Lord, as we just celebrated days ago, we celebrated Christmas, Lord. Where your son came into this world to die for the sins of each and every person who ever lived. Lord, that we might have a way to heaven, God. The Bible tells us that all we have to do is to believe in you that you are the son of God. Lord, that you came and you were born and that you died and you rose again for the sins of all mankind. Lord, we hope, hold on to that glimmer of hope, Lord, and one day when we enter those gates of eternity and we enter those gates of heaven, Lord, we will realize the hope that all those years our faith and our thoughts and our mind look forward to. Lord, continue, Lord, as we Enter this time of invitation, Lord. If there's someone here that has never accepted you as their Savior, Lord, may today be the day of their salvation. In your precious name, amen. I hope Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has spoke to you today through his word. You know, no matter what you go through, no matter what you face in life, I want you to know that through the one, Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross of Calvary, he shed his perfect blood for you and for me. 
And if you pray right now and ask Jesus into your heart, the message that you heard today, why God is speaking to you, I want you to know that you can have hope. And all you have to do is pray with me right now. Don't try and figure it out. The Lord says by faith, we accept Jesus as our Savior and you'll have hope for eternity. You say, Dallas, will you help me? What do I have to do? Well, let me share with you a verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you're willing to believe that God sent his son to die on a cross for you, just pray this prayer with me right now. And you can have heaven as your home. Jesus will forgive you for anything you've done in this life. And you can have hope from this day forward. Pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, forgive me a sinner. I believe that you're God's son. And you came and lived a perfect life. And you died on the cross. And you shed your perfect blood for all of my sin. And right now, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart to forgive me for all of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And from this day forward, help me to live by your resurrection power. In Jesus' name. If you've prayed that prayer, we want to hear from you. Contact us through our website, City Church AC, or you can get at our church app through any of the um, streaming services, and we want you to know that we'll contact you. And from this day forward, no matter what you face, you'll always have hope, knowing that Jesus is your Savior, and he'll come through in your life. Thank you for being with us today.